in my back. Oh my gosh, straw. Corn yields blow your mind. Now this will change, but unbelievable. Can you believe it? He actually said the soybean guy grow wheat. Yes. Good day and welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, December the 20th on this episode of The Word. Some holiday thoughts to begin with, then yields, yowzers, look out, it's incredible. After that, tillage, erosion, and cover crops, a really good discussion, no great answers, but what a thought process. Finish up with, of course, for the year, some questions about the crop of all crop, the wheat crop, but really... For the straw? Oh, man, what a way to end 2017. Let's go! First off, this will be the last Wheat Pete's word for 2017. We are going to take next week off. Come on, it's the Christmas holidays. And I want to start by saying a huge and most sincere thank you to everyone. To all the listeners, thank you for being part of the audience and thinking how crazy I am. To all the people who leave questions and comments and feedback, yes, thank you so much because that's what makes it work for me. And of course, to all those who support me both with information and making this possible, so to Rhett and to Dave Hooker and Greg Stewart and Horace Bonner and oh, there's way too many to name them all, but a huge thank you to all of you for your support again in 2017. Here is my Christmas wish list. I want lots of questions to come in between now and the next episode, which will be January 3rd, because those questions will make it so much easier to come up with something to talk about on January 3rd. Remember, Southwest Ag Conference starts on January 3rd, means I'll have to do the update on January the 2nd. So send me a Christmas present, leave me a question, leave me some feedback. That would be awesome. Before I leave these holiday thoughts, I do want to just point out one additional thing. The power of the positive. Nature Nut Nick from Strathroy, a regular listener, a great person to give feedback, always having comments and thought processes. He always starts off with good evening, great information, great information. It just so builds you up. So as you go through the holiday season, think about what you can say in a positive way to someone because it makes a huge difference. So for that, Nick, you've taught me that. I appreciate it. Positive feedback makes such a difference, especially to kids, but to everybody this Christmas make sure you give that positive feedback. All right, one last thing before we talk about yields, and that is the soybean seasonal summary. So my good friend Horace Bonner wrote the soybean seasonal summary, and in that, he actually said, can you believe it? He actually said the soybean guy, grow wheat. Yes, he's finally figured it out. And Horst, I talked to him, he said, hey, Peter, that was your Christmas present this year. I love it. All right, corn yields. Blow your mind. Wow. Now this will change, but unbelievable. With about two-thirds of the reports in, the average corn yield is 186 bushels per acre. The average of those growers that have reported their 10-year average is 171 bushels per acre. That means we're currently sitting at 109% of our 10-year moving average. That is 
almost unbelievable to be more than 10% above average or 10% below average. That almost never happens. Now remember, there's a whole bunch of acres to get reported and actually that report will come out today. I just couldn't wait for it. We had to get this this done, but gosh, at 186, corn yields will drop, but they well may be over 180 bushels per acre, almost for sure going to set a new provincial record here in Ontario. That is blow your mind. And Jeff, Jeff called in and said, hey, Peter, why is it that one neighbor has solid grade two corn, great grade two corn, another neighbor has grade five corn? Hey, Jeff, there's so many factors. What was the plenum temperature? What was the variety, the heat units of that variety? What was the planting date? It's not an easy answer, but certainly there are big differences between varieties and planting dates and how that corn was dried this year. So it doesn't surprise me that you got that range in your test weights in your corn. So let's finish up on yields. In the province, certainly winter wheat was the second highest yield ever on record. That's solid. But soybeans, and again, not all the bean yields are reported, but they are a very, very mediocre 44 bushels per acre. And the 10-year moving average of those growers who have reported is 44 bushels per acre. We're average. And we just are struggling to power those soybean yields forward. Part of that, as Horst would say in his, his seasonal summary, is that we just grow too many soybeans. But Kevin in Essex sent me some trial results and he said, Peter, I'm a no-till guy, been no-till for a long, long time. But here's a trial where we plowed some of this really tough Coatsworth clay. Now that is very, very hard clay. It's probably 65% clay content in the soil. We got seven bushel per acre more soybeans where we plowed the corn stalks than where we no-tilled the corn stalks. And I'm, I've struggled for the last number of years to get better yields. I actually got better soybeans back in the 80s than I'm doing right now. And I just am wondering, what the heck, how do I drive those soybean yields higher? Great questions, Kevin. And it really takes me into this whole thought process. So there's a nice study from the Asable Bayfield Conservation Authority, and they've got a field that's split. It's got a fence row in the middle and one farmer on one side of the hill, another farmer on the other side of the hill. So the farmer who's been a poor rotation for sure, but always with conventional tillage, you can see the erosion on that slope. You can actually visually see that the hill has dropped in height by at least a foot, maybe two feet over the last 30 or 40 years. It's incredible. That corn on that hill, 67 bushels per acre. Go across the fence row, no-till, reduced tillage, great rotation, cover crops, 202 bushel per acre corn. Now, it's only on the slope, but still, you look at that, and you look at some of the, the research out of the U.S., Rick Cruz from Iowa State saying that the U.S. has lost 6.8 inches of topsoil in the last 150 years. So this erosion thing is a big deal, but so is losing 7 bushels per acre in yield. Just a thought process. So Larry, from down in the Niagara Peninsula, again, a long-term no-till supporter, trying very hard with cover crops to do all the right things and he says Peter I have one field it's sloping and it's been no-till for a long long time and every year in the water runs on the no-till situation we get just a little bit of erosion just small rills maybe an inch two inches at the most three inches deep depends on how much water moves there and it's not a lot but it's just enough that once in a while, we got to go in there with something and just level it up a little bit. But what has happened is that down on the flat land where the water comes off that carrying that silt or that, that clay and it slows down, 
all of a sudden the ditches are full. So now he has to go in and clean out those ditches. There's just other things going on there. David Montgomery. So this is a, a speaker that came up and I didn't actually hear him, but he had some really interesting data and he went through, I forget how many studies, a couple of thousand studies looking at soil loss. And so on average, across all the data that David looked at, we can make 0.2 millimeters of soil per acre per year. That's, that's the thickness of soil, decimal 2 millimeters. In nature, if you look at nature, we still lose some soil. When that water moves down, we still lose some, but we lose 0.1 millimeters. So in nature, we're making about 0.1 millimeters of soil per year. When he looked at the no-till soil loss, it was at 0.8 millimeters. So we make 0.2, we lose 0.8. We're still not gaining. We still have to do better than that. And then he looked at conventional tillage and I didn't quite catch the number exactly, but it was something like 5 millimeters, not 0.55. So we make 0.2 and we lose 5 or more. Wow, this this whole concept of tillage versus yield versus erosion, it's really, really a tough one to get your brain around. And we just have to keep working on it. Jeff, you asked about the airway in the spring. So Jeff's in eastern Ontario, lots of water, it's compacted soil, and he says, okay, corn stalks are out there. What about going in with something like an airway to kind of reduce that compaction and make it so that we can plant our soybeans better? Jeff, I think the airway is a great vertical tillage tool. It does open that soil up and let the water in better. The curse buster is another implement that does essentially the same thing. My only caveat, don't be too aggressive. They can actually make the ground pretty rough. And so give it a go. I think it's an option. Just be careful how, how much tillage you actually get that. That particular implement to do. Okay, you got to move on. And Tony from Minnesota asking a question about cover crops and rotation. So Tony grows corn, soybeans, and wheat. And he's saying, I want to use red clover. And I've read lots of studies where red clover planted, frost-seeded into a winter wheat crop gives far more biomass production and I get better weed control than as if I plant red clover into my spring wheat crop. Because, you know, in Minnesota where I'm farming lots of times, I don't have much season left after the spring wheat comes off. So what about a corn, soybean, spring wheat, winter wheat rotation and plant the red clover frost seed into the winter wheat so I get the, the benefit of that red clover. So absolutely what you said, Tony, is bang on. You, If you get a stand, and that's the real challenge in winter wheat. In spring wheat, I almost always get a stand. Plant at the same time as the spring wheat and because you have less competition there, then you get a better stand. Why do we get better weed control in winter wheat? Well, it's because it's more aggressive and that's exactly why we get less of a red clover stand frost seeded into winter wheat. So it's just not as consistent. The other issue with what you're trying to do is that the winter wheat following a spring wheat crop is going to yield less. It's not a good rotation. So you would essentially get about 10% less winter wheat yield following spring wheat than you would if you could put the winter wheat somewhere else in the rotation. Rotation. And I realize that the length of season is a problem. So what I would say is, can we can we slide in an oat crop or a barley crop or something different, maybe even a canola crop that would come off a little er earlier so that we'd go corn, soybeans, oats, and winter wheat with red clover. Otherwise, I really do think that the red clover, just going corn, soybeans, spring wheat with red clover in the spring wheat, even though you don't see the amount of 
above ground biomass growth, the root growth, which I think we do not give enough credit to, the root growth is still significant. And I think the rotation without two years of wheat would be a better choice than going to two years of wheat because of the yield hit we take on that second year of wheat in that situation. Okay, we're on cover crops and Woody asked a great question. So Woody wants a cover crop. He wants to frost seed cereal rye winter rye this spring but he wants it to stay vegetative. He doesn't want it to go stemmy and get hard to deal with. And his question was, when do I plant that so that it does not vernalize? Great question, Woody. So what I can say is that Shane and I have done lots of trials. If we plant winter wheat in January, it almost always vernalizes. And in fact, got a question out of Michigan. They had winter wheat, barely sprouted, planted 44 days, but you could see the root had started to come out of the plant. And was it vernalizing? Would it vernalize? It's probably already half vernalized because it absolutely goes through that process. So wheat planted in January in Ontario almost always vernalizes. Wheat planted in late February, that's a pretty big question whether it will vernalize or not. Wheat planted in March almost never vernalizes. Winter barley, on the other hand, We've planted winter barley as late as March the 24th, and the doggone stuff still vernalized. So where does cereal rye fit in that? In general terms, cereal rye has a fairly significant vernalization requirement, so it's probably somewhere in that February time frame where you would get to the point you could frost seed the cereal rye and it would not vernalize enough to shoot to head. Exactly what date will depend on the spring. But if you get into March or mid-March, Woody, I think you're absolutely fine. Okay, finish up with two more cereal questions. Lee from Prince Edward County in Ontario says, Peter, can you tell me how to manage my winter wheat crop for the best straw quality? Oh, Lee, a, a dagger in my back. Oh, my gosh, straw. Anyway, Lee is feeding dairy cattle, and he wants volume of straw, he wants low toxins, and he wants low potash. So, Lee, it's pretty simple. The earlier you plant, the taller the crop will be, and so the more straw you will get. Lodging, always an issue, but absolutely plant early. You're planting after alfalfa. I think that gives you a great opportunity to do that, or after silage corn. Next, Variety. You can look at the provincial performance trials, gocereals.ca, and pick a variety that has good straw quality. The other thing, from a toxin standpoint, spray it with a fusarium fungicide for sure. Low potash, that means you actually have to delay baling the straw. Windrow it, let it get rained on three or four times. The potash will leach out of it. Now, it might be less perfect quality as feed, though, so that's the trade-off there. There's no other really good way to get lower potash levels in the straw, but that rain will leach it out. So if, you're, if potash is the biggest issue, then you'll have to give up maybe a little bit on quality and let the rain take the potash out so you have that low potash. Last, a question about wheat in Rolo, Saskatchewan, and the caller said, hey, would you grow wheat in Rolo, Saskatchewan on seven and a half inch spacing? And cool that you asked that because in Saskatoon last Wednesday, there was a presentation on exactly that. Some data from Bill May at Indian Head, Saskatchewan. So we're right in your backyard. One year out of four in the trial, he saw a significant yield increase to narrower rows. Three years, he could grow wheat in 16 inch rows and not see a yield increase. Unbelievable. 
I think variety plays. I've been in Western Canada. Some varieties, by the time I get there, they're in full head and they've canopied really well. Other varieties I can see between the 10-inch rows. If you can see dirt at heading between the rows, you are losing yield. I don't think there's any question. Narrow rows will improve your weed control. So that's another reason why I really like narrow rows. And in terms of the amount of fertilizer you can put on, because there's more rows per acre, you can increase your fertilizer rate without damaging the seed. So three great reasons to grow narrower rows. The downside, of course, is that it, the equipment costs go up and some years with some varieties, you're not going to see a yield increase. So would Johnson grow wheat on seven and a half inch rows? Absolutely. Because I think that the benefits outweigh the cost. Would most Western Canadian growers do it? Not a stinking chance. Look at that. Out of time yet again. Hey, on behalf of the whole team here at Real Agriculture, this is Wheat Peak saying that I hope you have an absolutely phenomenal holiday season with all your family and friends. Take the time. Enjoy it. It is what life is all about. Thanks for 2017 and ooh-ah, look out baby for 2018. Here we come.